Hello and welcome to episode 21 of the Salad Cast this season. Myself, Ollie and Glenn. How are you doing, Glenn? This is going to be a, a fun podcast. And yeah, we've been debating the names and it's been good <laughs> to get some people's input on the name. I put this in the agenda this morning. This is going to be a Dan Udo appreciation podcast. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, it's we're thinking of names to do with Dan Udo and and um, and Christmas, aren't we? Because obviously this is where we're at at the moment. So yeah, we've had a few good suggestions. You'll have to wait and see what the name is when it comes out. We haven't quite decided yet. We don't don't normally decide on the name until we kind of put it up online, do we, Ollie? But yeah, I mean, it's definitely a Dan Udo appreciation pod. And um, yeah, we're probably gonna well, we'll talk about it as we go through the game because we're definitely gonna have to talk about him and um, yeah, and how much he has changed since we were talking about him at the end of last season. But um, yeah, just me and you this week, Ollie, which is the first time for quite a while. So it's nice. To to get back into a bit more of a regular a regular occurrence. Yeah, so it's just me and yourself, so it should be a good pod. We've obviously got a really exciting game to talk about, yeah. um, which is good fun. And then also we can look ahead a little bit to the January transfer window mm-hmm. with a one-game pod, just the two of us. Um, so real big thanks to everyone who did share their, um, their, their reports on the players. I think I've got about 70, Glenn, wow. which is phenomenal. So I really appreciate everyone taking their time and hopefully people enjoyed it. There was a lot of good debate about it, but I think there's a lot of consensus. Um, so we'll share some of those and give some shout outs. And then we also need to look at the general transfer England, Glenn, what we think we need to sign. But before we do that, um, we'll talk about the game. And also we're getting close to a special milestone. Yeah, it seems crazy to think that once upon a time, Mickey Mellon was our manager, Ollie, and uh, we put on our random laptops that we had at the time and cobbled together some sort of basic audio equipment to re- start recording a podcast, didn't we? And uh, about our beloved Shrewsbury Town, and yeah, we are on the verge of our 250th podcast, um, so that sort of includes all the specials we've done as well, which is pretty bonkers, really, to think we've done 250 of these now, and um, yeah, all the highs and the lows that we've been through during that time, and uh, from the highs of Paul Hurst to the lows of Askey and, and some of that sort of... The lows of the last three. Well, three or four and, years. and you know the, the the latter Mickey Mellon days as well, where we we, yeah. we had a couple of batterings, and um, I, I, you know, just reflecting back on quite a long time period, I suppose we've definitely um, done this podcast during you know quite a lot of interesting things happening. You know, even the COVID period, as as dull and boring it was, wasn't going to the footballs. It certainly was something unique for football to have happened, and gave us to plenty to talk about football finance. We've covered lots on the podcast. You know, we we tend to have you know interviewed managers and stuff. There's not much we haven't done so far, is there, Ollie? So I'm, I'm quite proud of what we've been able to bring over almost. 250 episodes now which is pretty mental yeah we've we've, we've, the only thing probably haven't done is done a a live kind of stream but we've done a live pod so yeah we've done lots of things um, and I, yeah, it's, it's been good fun. I think I think we're still quite overwhelmed by how many people listen um, and contribute. Yes. And um, yeah, we very much enjoy it. It's a, it's a great distraction. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. I was just thinking back to that live pod. I totally forgot about that. It was hilarious. It was that yeah, <laughs> we the kind of predicted yeah. what was going to happen, didn't we? But yes, there we go. So we're back with two fifty. Um, and we probably should just talk now rather than at the, the end of the podcast about what's going to happen over Christmas. We we think we've got yeah. a plan. We'll probably come back and do a podcast after the next couple of games in between, sort of um the the next Sunday and Wednesday game. So um, yeah, we're back after Accrington, and then probably do one after the next Sunday game, and then that leaves us to talk about Liverpool on on the tenth of uh, January. So yeah, we'll probably get three podcasts in before we get back on our regular schedule. That's kind of the initial plan, isn't it? Yeah, one one in between Christmas and New Year, a couple of Monday pods probably. Um, yeah, so we've got that little bit of time to to kind of. That's one of the advantages, obviously, of us always doing it. You know, not on the Saturday night. Mm. One, it would be a bit sad to do a podcast I think on Saturday night, <laughs> um, but also I don't think we'd get that past our wives. But um, no also, chance. it just gives you time to. Reflect reflect as well so that's always good well it cut into going to the pub and celebrating results as well holly for me as well so um yeah there we go but um yeah i suppose we should kind of move on to the the main uh deal this week which was 
Shrewsbury Town at home to Cheltenham and what ended up being probably one of the best days in the meadow for quite a while. So um, yeah, I'm looking forward to talking about this one, Ollie. Steele's header to Steve Kerrigan. Steele gets the return pass and scores. The perfect one-two from the strikers. Carves a hole through that Cheltenham defence. And Lee Steele working perfectly with Steve Kerrigan. Shrewsbury Town 3, Cheltenham Town 1. Yeah, goals for Danny Ado on 10 minutes and 48 minutes. Um, and then one for Davis on 78, which I cannot wait to talk about. Absolute madness occurring at the Meadow on Saturday. Um, goal for uh, Cheltenham was Williams on 16. A red card for Bloxham and a whole load of other stuff happened in the game, which was uh, made a bit of a crazy battle, Ollie. And um, yeah, in terms of the attendance, 5,700. Not too far off um, what we had pre-COVID on that on that pre-Christmas game. Down a little bit, I think down about three or 400, so not as bad as some of the games have been this season. And, yeah, not helped um, by the 387 small children who'd been drinking too much dark fruit cider on the train on the way up from Cheltenham uh, who were coming for their big day out, Ollie. So, um, yeah, there we go. Yeah, poor lads. Um, it was a, yeah, very kind of... It was interesting, actually. There was quite a... Um, how do you describe it? There was quite a chippy... They're quite chippy, weren't they? Yeah. The, the Cheltenham fans. Now, I've realised why this is the case, Glenn. Why might Cheltenham fans be a little bit pissed off of us? Yeah, I, I think I know the answer because uh, I put it on Twitter and asked, I, you know, couldn't quite remember. I think it, uh, the reason I couldn't quite remember is because when we played Cheltenham in the in the season where we got promoted, that's what I remember. Yeah. I remember us going on the pitch. I remember, as we yeah. talked about, you know, Colin passing away and, and other well-known Shrewsbury fans kind of passing away and that yeah. kind of moment. I'd totally forgotten we relegated Molly. Well, we didn't relegate. No, we were relegated as yeah. such. But yeah, we did party on the pitch <laughs> when they got relegated. So I don't think it's too surprising or unfair mm. um, for them to have be have a little bit of resentment towards us because I think we'd probably do the same. Yeah, there's definitely a bit more needle there than there ever was before. But it was quite interesting yeah. for me just talking about Cheltenham and their fans is that we went to their place, you know. Whatever it was, only a few, maybe a month ago now, wasn't it? And um, their, their home fans didn't make any bloody noise the entire game. And yet they, they were quite chippy and quite wanting to make a lot of noise. They didn't bring a load, obviously only 387. I think but... you can imagine what that was, isn't it? The combination of the train and beer? Yes, I think And then so. you only need... I remember going to um, Charlton away a few years ago and so many Shrewsbury fans were leathered. Yes. And you only need a small number, or even in some cases a large number of um, rather um, lubricated fans to kind of really kind of turn the notch it up, I'd say. Yeah, I think that's why I always think when we go to Burton, it's generally quite a good atmosphere because most people go on the train and get a bit drunk. So I think it does add to it. And it sounds like from reading Twitter that they quite enjoyed their day out to Shrewsbury other than the result, which is, I suppose, fair enough. But um, yeah, there we go. That that was our reflections on the Cheltenham fans, I suppose. And um, yeah, I don't know, Ollie, where do you want to start? The stats? Yeah, let's, you go through the stats, Glenn. What, what were some good ones? So here's an interesting one. After 55 games as manager, um, Steve Cottrell now has more points than everybody other than Paul Hurst. Um, so I think we've been looking at the comparison with Ricketts at, at, over the last few months because he'd fallen behind Ricketts, which we thought was a bit ridiculous. He's, he's ahead of Ricketts again now, so um, that's kind of dropped away as an issue. And then I thought I'd go back and check compared to all the other managers we've had during this League One period. And yeah, um, there's, there's only Hurst that got more points, obviously significantly more points. But I guess, I guess that does show you that this home form has, has kind of helped a little bit of a turnaround in terms of the points per game that, that Cottrell's been bringing home, Ollie. Yeah, it's, it's it's not a surprise that Hurst obviously came in mm. a difficult period, um, but he obviously did quite well. 
yeah, not doing great, are we? But let's not be too negative. No. It was a fun weekend. No. Weekend this weekend. I thought I was just looking. You know, we're quite good yeah. to point out when he's getting behind other managers. It's a fair thing to point out that he's now ahead yeah, of everyone. Totally so that's fine. We're still five points back on where we were this point last season. But as I say, that will kind of come back if we keep up this home form. Um, and this was an interesting one, uh, Ollie. I don't know if you saw on uh, Twitter last night. Um, Lewis Cox was asking about when was the last time we had like two strikers that were kind of closing in on 10 goals as we approached the New Year's period. And um, it hasn't happened for such a long time. I, I thought I'd go back and have a look. And uh, yeah, actually, it was probably 2003, 2004 was the last time we had a kind of strike partnership that had both been getting goals when Cram and Rogers, um, I think they had, I think Rogers had 11 and Cram had nine. It could have been the other way around. So not too dissimilar to what Bowman and um, Odo have got now. So yeah, you have to go quite a long way back to find another partnership. The only other one I could find that was close was, I think it was 6-7 when... Um, when Andy Cook got a fair few goals in that season, along with his strike partner, whose name escapes me. Um, yeah, so, you know, we don't normally have two strikers who are closing on 10 goals we approach Christmas. So it's kind of come out of nowhere that little bit, hasn't it, with the, the, the kind of yeah, goals? Yeah, it has and it hasn't. We, we don't normally play with two strikers. That's true. Quite a lot of the last yep. few years. Um, but yeah, interesting stats. And it's great to see, obviously, you know, it's great to see Ado doing so well, especially in the last seven games. He's scored five goals. Crazy. Um, and had two assists, including the, the cup game. Which is, which is absolutely fantastic. What isn't fantastic, Glenn, is our away form. No. So if you look at the home and league, home and away league tables, the home league table, we're 10th, yeah. which is quite respectable. We've got 20 points from, from 11 games. Our away record is, yeah, pretty, pretty, pretty poor. Pretty poor. Um, we are 23rd, 11 games, two points. Yeah. So we've had, as, as I tweeted out in the game, we've had twice as many red cards as we have points away from home, which is quite crazy considering we're now in in, mm. in the latter stages of December. Yeah, I mean this this brings me to a point where I was probably going to talk about later on, which is that we can we can really be positive about our home form picking up, and it's it's the thing keeping us in the hunt, isn't it? But unless our away form in, in, you know increases, really. Even winning most of your home games, your limitations on what you can do this season are probably no, again, no more than seventeenth, are they? So it has definitely been the thing that's hamstrung us. I think Lewis was Lewis Cox was talking on Twitter last night that if our home form had been something like the average, in, sorry, our away form had been something somewhere near the average in the league, we'd be ninth, which seems a bit ridiculous, really. But it, but that does show you how historically bad and how much of a handbrake the away form has been on this season so far, doesn't it? You've got Burton Albion on 20th yep. with eight points from 11 games. Then you've got Morecambe with seven. And then the bottom three are pretty terrible. So Doncaster have one point away from home from 11. Shrewsbury with two and Crewe with three. Mm. Um, none, none of the bottom, none of the crew Shrewsbury or Doncaster have won away from home yet. No. It's um, but interesting, Gillingham and Fleetwood have only won away once. Yeah. So it's a funny table. It's funny, funny season this year. Yeah, one win puts it's you up tough. a bit, doesn't it? That's it's a tough thing. division. Yeah. Let's not forget that. I, I, it, back of my mind, I've got a suspicion. You know, over the course of a calendar year, you know, if you look at 2021, I suspect our away form has probably been the worst it's been in our history. I, st- I, I haven't finished this investigation yet, Ollie. It's one of my ongoing statistical investigations. But I think after the next two games, I will report back. You know, if we haven't won at Fleetwood, I suspect it's going to be top five worst years as an away sport of following Shrewsbury Town. That would be what I think my view is, but I will come back with a definitive answer on that, Ollie. I don't I don't have the facts yet, so um, you know, we, we'll have to wait and see. Um, in terms of one last stat before we get into the game, Dave Davis scored a goal. Quite a rare occurrence, Ollie. Um, his first goal for, since February 2018 when he scored for Birmingham City, which seems weird to think that the last time he scored was when Paul Hurst was our manager. Bit weird. Um, but yeah, he's only ever scored 13 goals in the league, so I, I'm pretty sure... 
He's never scored a goal like that. And, you know, that wasn't one of the 13. I doubt he's picked up on the halfway line and ran in and scored as one of those other 12 that he scored, Ollie. So I suspect that was quite a unique moment for him. Yeah, that's fair to say. It was quite a rare, but what an absolute moment. Yeah, looking forward to covering that bit. Yes, me too. Um, but yeah, this has been quite a big intro. Let's yeah, get into some good, of the good. football in terms of in terms of what's going on. So the starting lineup, the back three with Morosi and goal has been quite settled, settled hasn't it? Mm-hmm. Pennington, Leahy and Nurse. Um, Daniel slotted in at right wing back. Bennett and Davis in centre midfield are a better left wing back. Vela playing is at a ten, um, and Ado and Bloxham um, up front, which is pretty much a side that we thought would 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 start. Glenn. there was there was some kind of rumours about how Pierre and and Bowman were back on the grass in the press conference, yeah. um, but I wasn't too surprised. I thought maybe one of them might come in uh, and be playing, but um, but yeah, we had it was the side that yeah. What I think most people expected. Yeah, looking back, it's worked a treat, hasn't it? Gradually reintroducing Pierre and Bowman later in the game um, was probably the best thing for them. You know, it hasn't overstretched them, both coming back from, as we said, muscular injuries. So um, I was okay with, with kind of the form, the sort of players that we've had in the last few weeks, and it, is, it has been what it's been. So I wasn't really too surprised with the, with the team sheet. Um, and yeah, glad to see Broxham getting another game because I've been enjoying watching him. We'll get to his moment of the match in a bit. But um, yeah, that was good. And I suppose, you know, before we get into, you know, the game and how it started. Um, one of the biggest things about the match was um, the sort of celebration of Marvin, Marvin Morgan's life, really, which was undertaken by the club. You know, there was a special program with him on the front. Um, there was a, a minute's uh, applause at the start with his shirt laid out on the centre circle, um, and obviously then the banner um, that I'd helped the club get together this week and and the new flag um, were in the south stand. So reflections on it, Ollie. I thought it was a, a really well done um, thing to remember Marvin Morgan um, and everything he gave our club and, and football in general. And um, yeah, credit to the club and the fans and the Cheltenham fans for joining in. Really, I thought it was a, a well respected uh, moment for. for a man that will be greatly missed. Yeah, no, it's, it's a nice moment. It's real sad. Still, still in shock. Yeah. Um, that the, the news. Um, and yeah, thoughts thoughts go to his family as well. And it's nice to see the banner was up as well, which is a nice memory. Yeah. Um, of 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 Margaret and his time at the club. It was, yeah, and so uh, yeah, that, that kind of went off. Players retreated to their halves, and uh, yeah, we had our little huddle that I've been noticing the last few weeks. That I'd, apparently, they've been doing all season that I never spotted, as discussed. Um, and yeah, how did the game start, Ollie? It started quite brightly for Shrewsbury. I thought we started the game quite well, yeah. uh, quite on the front foot. Um, we had a nice bit of build-up play. Quite a bit of our play did start on the right. Um, Vela, Daniels, and, and Bloxham getting getting involved. Um, we had we had a corner which then got recycled, and there was a header. Um, from Leahy, which wasn't a bad start to the game. That was only a couple of minutes in. Yeah, I totally agree. I thought it was quite a fast-paced game, and and we've started well in terms of pushing forward. But I think Cheltenham were doing the same thing. It felt a little bit like yeah. it was kind of you know a bit of a basketball game, wasn't it? We got the ball attacked, they got the ball attacked, we got the ball attacked, and it was quite a, an entertaining watch in that opening spell. Um, I thought it was noticeable that both teams had a sort of a front three um, that wanted to press the ball high up, which was kind of coughing up a few mistakes and causing little counters early on. So I thought, yeah, I thought in that opening spell, um, before we get to our first goal, it looked like it was going to be a good game, didn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah, Cheltenham were coming in decent confidence, and why shouldn't they? They're yeah. they're above us in the league table. Um, obviously, they beat us when we last played them. Um, so yeah, I thought they played with good confidence. Um, a couple of good players as well. A couple of players I think would get straight into our side in, in their lineup as well, which we'll come on to later. Yeah, I thought that was good. And then yeah, ten minutes in, um, Glenn, uh, a really really nice goal. Um, so Vela plays a nice through ball to Bloxham down the down the channel. He crosses the ball into the box and. Crazy defending from Cheltenham. Like I don't really understand what they were doing. Literally, central defenders just gave a doe um like acres and acres of space and time, and a doe um headed the ball into the back of the net. And 
I think that's a goal that probably last season, season before, Glenn, he wouldn't have taken. Um, yeah. But Ado, with his confidence, heads it into the back of the net. And a really nice moment for, for him and, uh, yeah, a really nice celebration. Yeah, the, the finish is, is class, to be fair. He just stoops and kind of hit, heads it in with power as well, which is not to be underestimated. That's a, a pretty difficult skill at times with the ball coming at you like it did. Um, and yeah, I agree. You know, he's a completely different player to what he was last season. It, it does kind of sh- prove prove another thing wrong, which is maybe we doubted too much that Bloxham was a winger once in his time because he obviously has got quite a good cross. You've got to credit the cross as well. It was fantastic. It looked like the sort of goal... Um, that happens to a team that plays zonal marking, where suddenly you know a player goes into the zone that no one is in and just is completely unmarked. I don't think they were zonal marking, but just no, felt... I don't. If it was zonal marking, someone should have been in that zone <laughs> exactly um, because they literally vacu- vacated it. It was very, very strange. Very odd, very odd. And yeah, just a just a really good goal to get us going. It you know it felt like a goal was coming for either team. You couldn't judge who was on top at that point. It was an open game, like we said. So I thought, oh, we've got a head here. That's absolutely vital for us in in terms of games we've won this season. So really good. And then yeah, lovely celebration ran over to the West Stand, um, give it a bit of a, a fist pump, which was great, in front of Block 19. And then as they're going away, I'm not sure where the shirt came from or who, who got it on there, but suddenly, you know, a goal on 10 minutes. Marvin Morgan was our number 10, and um, they hold up the, the Marvin Morgan number 10 shirt to to celebrate with. I thought, what a, what a kind of, one of those football moments that we probably will remember for a long time, really, to, to have it happened on the Marvin Morgan number 10 minute. Um, I thought that was fantastic, Ollie, and re- really one of those kind of, yeah, one of those football narratives that kind of come along every now and again that, you know, you, you just can't write, really. Yeah, it was a nice moment. It's a nice moment. It's a nice moment to reflect on Marvin again, especially with a goal. It was a, a kind of goal that Marvin would have been proud of as well. Yeah, it was. And it prompted a Marvin Morgan chant, didn't it, around the ground, which happened again yeah. later on. But um, that was a really nice moment as well. Um, and yeah, I thought, you know, the game didn't change after the goal, Ollie. For me, it was still quite open. They came back at us. We still kind of were pushing forward as much as we could. Didn't really change the game. And, and it wasn't really a surprise when they got a goal, I didn't think, six minutes later. Um, bit infuriating the way we conceded it. But it just, you know, it was there were goals in the game. Yeah, I, th- I think this goal is a consequence of having a not inexperienced players, but um, obviously a, a back three that's not used to playing together. Um, also, obviously, midfielders that are constantly changing. And I think this was maybe a bit of a consequence of, of moving people around a lot. So Lee, kind of kind of charging out of the back three. Um, he doesn't win the ball. And then they basically they break on us into space. Um, central midfielder drives forward into that kind of half space, which, you know, which... Um, that Man City loved to play that kind of half space you get into the box and then you push the ball back yeah. um, it was a really really nice bit of play from them um, basically Davis and Obetta was tracking the central midfielder back everyone was kind of all over the place um, and Williams taps it home and not a good goal for, um, from a Salah perspective one that I'm sure they'd be quite pleased of because um, it was quite intelligent play from them yeah I was about to say the same thing I think I thought I think their fans and their manager would have been absolutely delighted with that goal it was a lovely passage a little passing around us once they won it back off Leahy didn't they and kind of pulled us out of, well, sort, of, sort of saw the way we were out of position and played the ball in the right areas at the right time and nice little cutback for the goal um, not, I've watched it back I'm not sure I can really be too critical on Morosi on that it is kind of front post um, people do want him to charge out at everything but it was a, it was a good finish wasn't it and um, yeah, you know, it, and when the goal went in, I was like, what is this game going to be? You know, we'd seen two goals in, what, 16 minutes. There'd been other chances. It had been quite attacking. I thought some, somewhere along the line here, one of these defences is going to have to get to grips with this game because it, it looked like it was going to go crazy. Yeah, it was quite an entertaining first 15 minutes. Yeah. Um, and this is where their fans started chanting, you know, you're not singing anymore. Mm. And, and that like, there was quite a bit of banter um, on the terraces um, at this point in the game. But then I thought, probably fair to say, I think Cheltenham probably finishes the half yes. better than us. Yeah. Um, I think it's, they've got a couple of players that would walk into our side, particularly May, um, who's a really good midfielder. Mm. 
And yeah, I thought they I thought they were much better than us. Even though there was a few chance chances for us, I thought they were better. And there was that point um, there was that point blank header um, from across from the right and well saved by Morosi. And I thought that was a good good save from him. A decent cross into the box and were better, but well defended by by Cheltenham and some good build up play um, from Salah. But I thought there was a kind of marked difference that Cheltenham I thought were just better at making decisions and movement in the final third. Yeah. I would say from 20 minutes to the to the end of the half, they were completely on top. I'd go as far as to say they were well on top at times um, and they, they pushed us back. They attacked with pace. It it was one of those games that made me wish for a number 10 in our team. You know, Alfie May, who you just mentioned, but they also had another lad. I forget his name now, sort of a little bit further. Number 28. Yeah. Both of them yeah, really, really good. skillful, kind of a diminutive, drop a shoulder, go past a player, not afraid to run at them. You know, Ben Davis types, I suppose, um, or John Nolan types that we just don't have in our squad. And regardless of winning in the end, I still think this is a game that stood out to me as, you know, that is a position we don't have. We'll obviously talk about this in January transfer window, but, you know, either of those two players playing in the number 10 role for us um, would be a massive upgrade. So, um, yeah, that was what the kind of second the second period of that first half felt like to me. Um, and I thought, I thought we did well. You know, Marossi made some good saves and blocks. Um, I think Lee cleared one off the line, didn't he? Um, after a sort of fumble from Morosi, and then and then he made another point blank save. So they had plenty of chances. But to be fair to Town, when we needed to make the saves in the defensive blocks, they did make them, um, and we went in. You know, at the one-one at half time. Obviously, something to come to first. But yeah, got to credit the defensive performance in that period, I suppose. Yeah, I think that's fair, Glenn, and that was fair. Um, you know, they were on top, and then obviously they were even more on top um, after uh, rather. Um, f- a disappointing moment, I say, of the game. Um, so yeah, there was a, an altercation on the left-hand side um, of there from when we were, we were sitting from the west end. Yep. And yeah, Hussey um, basically tackles robustly um, with with Bloxham. I don't think to be fair, really did that. I think too wrong. No, no. Um, and then they kind of like bit bit pathetic, really, kind of barred shoulders at each other, <laughs> which is a very weird thing to do. Um, and then yeah. Blocks and puts his head. Let's call it a head dip, um, and um, basically kind of all kicks off. Then um, one of their players tries to push Blocks and Daniels pushes him, and it's all handbags. Um, and then yeah, um, there was a red card for Blocks Um So what was, I think it was, it's one of those situations. I've often think in these situations, Glint. I tried to think of myself. If this happened to us, and that was a Cheltenham player, yep. would we want him to go off? And would you think would it be unfair if he hadn't been sent off? I think that he was right for him to be sent off. It might be a bit tame, but yes. for me, um, I can see why the referee sent him off. He gave the referee a decision to make. Yep. The referee made a decision. And if you watched it back, Lynch, you know he has so close to the assistant referee. It's yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. He literally could have almost have headbutted the assistant referee. <laughs> and also, if you're going to headbutt someone and get sent off, maybe actually headbutt them, <laughs> maybe do something. And, and yeah, I'm not condoning violence at all, but it's a bit pathetic to get sent off for trying to headbutt someone and you miss. The sad thing is, a weak a powder puff headbutt is still a headbutt, isn't it, in the laws yeah. of the game? And um, However just, you define it. Just because you haven't split someone's forehead open or broke their nose with a headbutt, Vinnie Jones-esque, you know, it's still technically a headbutt. And you say the referee had a decision to make. The referee wasn't sure, was he? Because um, he's clearly seen, the, well, I say he's clearly seen the incident. He's seen the incident and obviously, you know, brought play to a high, uh, sort of pushed them all aside. But he's had to ask the linesman what he thought about it. And clearly the linesman said, no, I'm right by it. He's, he's pushed his head into him and, you know, that is technically a headbutt. So... I agree with you. If it was a Cheltenham player, I'd be screaming bloody murder if he didn't get sent off. I was surprised how negative the town fans were about the referee sending him off, which I thought was a bit weird. Yeah, I, I can understand strange. why. Yeah, I can understand why they booed the lad that was involved in it because. 
basically, to me, it was gamesmanship. He knew he was up against an 18-year-old. He'd been trying to rattle him. He got him rattled, and he, he kind of helped him get sent off. You know, blocks. So the thing is, the Blox... funny thing is, is that the blocks actually started it by like yeah. fouling him yeah. earlier. Yeah, they'd been rattling each other through that period before the before the red card. So um, they'd clearly been having a battle sort of thing. And I, you know, I've seen people kind of dis- describing uh, Bloxham as being a bit of a Luke Rogers. I'm not too sure he's kind of at that level yet. He's got a little bit of spice about him, and I quite like that. But um, yeah, it's one of those lessons to be learned for him, isn't it? If that was Dave Davis doing that, we'd be absolutely tearing him to shreds, wouldn't well, we? Yeah, if there's anyone over the age of 21, 22, um, you'd be like, you'd be livid. I think also he gets the benefit of the doubt for being a salad player as well, coming through the youth academy. A bit. Um, I think if that had been Cosgrove or Pike or, um, yeah, I don't know, Lechabella or someone else, and we'd actually lost that game. I think narr- context is key here, or narrative That's of the sure. game, yeah. and the result is key. But um, for me, I would have been a lot harsher if he was a bit older. Um, His mates bailed them out of it as the game went on, didn't they? That's for sure. And I'm still, you know, quite furious, not furious, but a bit annoyed about it. It's a very poor decision to make. But if he's not going to be doing that every week and, you know, it's a nice learning lesson for him on his, you know, career progression and, you know, didn't cost us anything in the end. Um, Cost him his first team place for three weeks, which I'm sure he'll be a bit miffed about. Um, But he'll be back for Liverpool, so that's fine. Um, So, yeah, frustrating really more than anything. And it did feel like we were going to get absolutely pummeled because they were completely dominant before that red card. It was only a matter of time until they were going to score, wasn't it? And for me, as much as we say they were dominant before the red card and they were, you know, you said they were dominant afterwards. Yeah, they were dominant with the ball afterwards. But for me, this red card changed the game. Cheltenham didn't, and we'll go for the second half, they didn't know how to play against 10 men when we were at their place, Ollie. They really struggled to break us down. They had to bring that Alfie May on, who was, you know, coming back from an injury at the at the away game. And they only really just scored down and we, we had chances to draw that game. They're not good against 10 men, Cheltenham. They <laughs> proved that second half, that's for sure. So to me, it was a red card that changed the game in our favour, which is a b- bizarre thing to think, isn't it, really? I'd agree that in part. They didn't do very well against 10 men. They were too slow. Um, I thought Awful. their tactics, what the way their staff had set them up was probably sensible. Basically, they tried to overload us in the flanks. Yeah. But they were really, really too slow in the application. Um, and then in, in the counter to that, Shrewsbury Town worked so hard. So if you, I was often noticing, especially obviously Bennett was on our side, he often had two men and was often a spare man on the on the far side, almost just completely spare. So the fullback, when he pushed up, was completely spare. But they were too slow at getting the ball forward. Um, they were too slow um, and inaccurate with their crosses and their and their attacking play. I thought at times we got a bit, little bit lucky with some kind of bouncing balls in the box. But at the same time, good blocks, good clearances, um, and for me, sheer hard work. So obviously, one of the challenges you have when you're defending, especially when you're defending with ten men, is you need to keep the space between you to a minimum. And I thought the team did so well shuffling across. So when they did move the ball over, the whole team moved over really well. Um, so I thought, yeah, totally agree with you, Glenn. Um, some of their decision making just completely dropped off. You know, first half I, I was praising their play. Second half, and you know, they had so many shots, but they were a threat to their own um, away fans, um, their <laughs> fans in the in the goal behind. Behind the goal, sorry. Yeah, I suppose we should get to the second half, shouldn't we? Really, I suppose. Half time, yeah. I, I text my uh, my mate I've mentioned on the podcast every time we play Cheltenham. Who we went to uni with, who's a Cheltenham fan. Um, he, he goes to quite a lot of the games, and uh, I said to him, "God, you'll you'll have had a mare if you don't win this game." That's what I said to him at half time, and he said, "Well, yeah, I'm confident, but we are, and I quote, very inconsistent." And uh, turned out he was correct, Ollie, because they were very. Well, inconsistent. I thought the same thing. <laughs> I was chatting to a few Shooter fans half time on Twitter, as you do. And yeah, I was saying there's going to be only really one winner because yeah. they they were so good. Um, they had you know they had some really talented players on the pitch. Um, a good attacking um team, 
Um, but they just couldn't do it. It's yeah, a combination of both things, isn't it? Obviously, ourselves playing really well, um, and then they're them very very poor and having lots and lots of, sh- of shots from from distance. Um, but there was one interesting change, Glenn, wasn't there? We we changed to a, a kind of a four four one, but at half time the manager made a substitution. Yeah, he brought Pike on for Daniels. I think maybe because we needed a bit more physicality with the the way they were playing, you know, putting balls into the box. I did think in the first half, even when you look back to it, they definitely tried to um, tried to isolate Leahy on those balls against their big tall striker. That they always thought that was a way of getting joy. So maybe just having a bit more physicality on the ball when it was up in the air. I don't know. For me. I don't think Daniels had a particularly good game first half. It's maybe no. obviously we all think that's harsh. I don't know why we not talked about it. But no. yeah, I, I'm just not not convinced he's a right wing back, unfortunately, for him. And he is, he's being played out of position. Whereas Pike had had one good game there. So I suppose why not switch it around? Yeah, I'm going to be... He seems like a lovely lad and he seems to try really hard. But right at this moment in time, I don't think he's quite a League One calibre player. I uh. think he needs a kind of a doe levels of improvement in his play. Um, I was watching quite a bit in the in the first half and... He made quite a few bad decisions. He ran forward the ball, hit it too far away from him, lost the ball. Um, a lot of his passes and crosses didn't go to anyone. Um, it wasn't a great performance. Like, no. in, in his defence, he doesn't play that often, so it is hard for him to get into the rhythm and, and play. And, and as you say, Glenn, I'd, I'd like to see him start three games as a, you know as if we play like a, a three four three, play him on the left attacking role in yeah. support of a proper striker, Doe or something more Bowman, and play there for three games three full 90 minutes and see how he does because that's a fair test um, so I, I do feel sorry for the lad um, he's been played out of position uh, in, in League One which is which is quite a tough ask yeah so I don't want to be too harsh on him it was fair no, enough exactly. that he got swapped over and I suppose as I say Pike offers you something different in that situation but then you have to question though he is a winger and he played a winger in his career like that's it's not good exactly. indictment of his performance or himself that he got substituted at half time um, irrelevant of yeah, having a men sent off or whatever. Yeah, I feel like he's probably trying to adapt his game at the moment quite a lot, isn't he, to actually get you know in the manager's reckoning because he knows he isn't going to play as an out and out winger. And I, you know, I doubt he is even you know his natural position was a winger when he came to us. I'm sure he can do a job at right wing back. I'm sure he can do a job as one of the central, uh, sorry, one of the wide front players. But you know, his natural game is having to be adapted to to fit a role that Steve Cottrell wants, and that must be quite difficult for him and a young lad in his you know first team in England and, and trying to make his way in the EFL. So a lot of lot of kind of mitigating circumstances and um, yeah whether he'll get that long run or that long chance I don't know in, in a more preferred position but we'll wait and see this this next moment then obviously we scored pretty soon into the half to me this is where to me this defined why Cheltenham were not good against 10 men and I'll come to it in a minute so I'll come to it now why not you would describe the goal in a minute I feel like once we went 2-1 ahead Cheltenham played the game like a bunch of lads who knew they'd absolutely messed it up because going 2-1 down to Shrewsbury Town at home with something to hold on to, they knew their job had been made, you know, hundred percent more difficult, and it felt like there was just that little bit more pressure on them that made them snatch at chances, try to force passes, and and tried to play in a way that was kind of, you know, playing into our into our sort of hands really. So, um, we'll talk about the goal in a second, but to me, that's kind of how that second half got defined. They knew once it went two one, it was much more of a difficult challenge, and it and it definitely affected them, I think. Yeah, I, yeah, they went into themselves a little bit, didn't they? They did. Yeah. No one really kind of took the mantle. Um, and try and dictate play. Um, but yeah, it was a few moments. I watched this whole game back actually. Okay. Um, There's a few moments where they just, yeah, the number 28, who was really good, I forget his name, was really good in the first half. Like, there was one bit of play where almost he kept the ball for almost like a set, like a minute, <laughs> and just kind of like dribbling around and trying to not do anything. And and yeah, it, they seem to play quite pedestrian pace of football. And as everyone knows, against 10 men, you've got to be fast, you've got to be quick. 
Um, just get the ball in the box, get the ball forward, get the ball wide and stretch the opposition. And they just did the classic things that you just don't do against 10 men. And I think you're right, Glenn. I think going going, going, going and giving us this chance and making it 2-1 so early in the half probably obviously destroyed the manager's half-time team, half time, team talk. Yeah. Um, but seemed to yeah dispirit them a little bit, and maybe they knew at the back of the mind. You know, we've got a good a good record here. Their manager had actually mentioned our good home record in, in the pre match, um, so maybe their players had heard that as well. Yeah, it felt it felt a little bit like they were walking, must have been walking back to centre silver, thinking, "Oh my god, great! There's going to be ten players in front of us every single time we pick the ball up, and we're going to have to try and you know just brute force this rather than use a bit of craft really, because um you know they're not going to counter us <laughs> anymore now they're two one up. So yeah, it does definitely change the narrative of the game, but. Yeah, another goal for old uh, old Danny Adele, Ollie, um, who takes it to uh, yeah, what is it, six league goals this season? So, yeah, that was pretty good, wasn't it? And it was a, it was a good finish, wasn't it? After a horrendous mistake. Yeah, it was a, it was an odd goal, wasn't it? Like so, in the ball is kind of just over into Chatham's half, and Vela puts pressure on their midfielders, and their number eleven actually kicks the ball into the path of Adele, which goes <laughs> over the top of their central defender. Um, and then again, another chance where I think Odo don't think he would have scored this goal last season. He took the gets the ball, takes it under control, and very quickly just dispatches it into the back of the net. Really, really good bit of poacher's play. Really good play from Vela, putting them under pressure, um, and just shows kind of you know bit of bit of tenacity and and kind of gambling. Um, it paid off. Yeah, I, I don't. As much as that was a mistake from their defender, it's also the the centre back who just didn't jump to head the ball away, which seemed ridiculous as well to to kind of let um Ado in over his back. So yeah, catalogue of errors really in the build up to it. And now you say you know last season he wouldn't have scored it, but when he was when he got it and he took that you know got got in to make the chance, I thought goal. You kind of you kind of think that about Dan Ado now, don't you? He started to score a bit more regularly. He hasn't really been missing any chances in between his goals. Not absolute sitters anymore. So. That's been eliminated from his game. And I suppose this is the point where we talk about Dan Ado a little bit. We we talked at length last week about him. But, you know, the goals in this game were just part of the reason why he won Man of the Match. Because um, his work rate was unbelievable with 10 men. Oh, some of the moments in this second half was just absolutely Staggering. superb. Staggering. Um, you know, he actually created the assist for Davis's goal. I don't yep. know if you can actually claim an assist in your own <laughs> half. Um, but it was an assist where he set up Davis. But... Yeah, the way he like kind of wins the ball, he drives forward, he gets fouled. I thought that was absolutely brilliant. He really helped the opposition, helped the defenders. Um, I'm sure they were absolutely thanking them for you know for that little respite that he kept doing. But also, he just his decision making is so improved. Like he, he goes yeah. in the right directions. He, he makes the right decisions. He passes the ball when he should when he should pass. He he makes a run when he doesn't. He he takes men on and, and he beats a man as well. He was absolutely superb for the whole game. And one of the things, obviously, we've lamented is sometimes of his inconsistency, but that was probably the best 90 minutes we've ever seen from Mado, would you say? Oh, uh, probably, yeah. I mean, he's, he's scored two goals in a game. He's only done that the other week the first time, hasn't but he? But his so... work effort, his decision-making, yep. his passing, his 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 effort, um, his drive. And I think that's what the fans love. You know, obviously, the fans kind of love the story of you know signing a player from non-league, um, you know, we've seen him try and, and, and we've seen him improve. And now we've seen him delivering the results and working really hard um, at the same time. It's the feel-good story of Christmas, Dan Ado's form <laughs> at the moment, isn't it? And it is, you know, and like, uh, you know, every time he scores now, someone reminds me that I was mocking him for not, not scoring earlier in the season, which is fair enough because he didn't he didn't really go on this purple patch until, what, maybe a month. only comment month. on what we see. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, and we, we do remember the last two years where his goal output was not great. But, you know, I'm, I'm more than happy to just 
say I'm absolutely bloody delighted to see the way he's playing. You know, I've said on this podcast since we were doing it, 249 episodes ago, whatever it was, Wally, that my number one thing I love about watching Shrewsbury Town football thing, there's lots of things I love. I love watching a bloody striker that scores goals and is is good at what he does. And we've had so rare of them over the years that it's the reason why I absolutely love Faye. It's the reason why I loved Grant Holt. It's the reason why I love James Collins. Because to me, Faye's turning into, sorry, um, Ado's turning into a bit more of a James Collins type striker. Obviously, maybe not at that level and maybe you never will get to the level Collins got to. But Collins is two things, weren't they? Were he never stopped running, harrying, pushing, yep. pressing. He was good at holding the ball up. He'd run forward. He, he could do all the things that Ado is starting to do. And to me, that's maybe the most likely comparison at the moment. If he goes on to get 20 plus goals like um, Collins did during those couple of seasons, the, the first the first period and the second period of first, that'd be amazing. You know, he's, he's certainly well placed to go on and get 20 goals this season now if he, if he could kick on into the new year. So I think there's lots to be positive about Dan Ado as a football club and as, and as fans. And um, yeah, I don't care whether I was completely wrong about it. I'm just loving watching what's happening at the moment. Yeah, we can only we can only comment on what we see. And before he wasn't performing to a high standard. Yeah, um, I don't know. In in a, two seasons ago, he's something like a goal every five hundred and eighty minutes, and then it was like a goal every three hundred minutes, something like that. Two hundred eighty, ninety minutes, something like that. And this last few days, it's been a hundred. You know, it's been a goal nearly just over basically a game and a half, which is a good strike rate. And yeah, I think Collins is probably a good comparison. Uh, a striker who isn't, you know, isn't tall, yeah, um, but is strong, can act as a target man, a bit of a what football manager would call a pressing forward. Um, yeah, I think yeah, Doe's been it's been fantastic this season, um, and yeah, I thought this time the town fans were in good voice, brilliant, um, and I thought yeah, we were yeah, I didn't really feel like we weren't going to win the game then, you know, I, I genuinely thought that we we're going to get something at least. Um, I didn't really consider us losing um, the game at this point, so we're kind of up to about maybe sixty seven minutes yeah. in, and Vela shoots wide, um, for, and from that that action, and Pierre comes on, and Nurse goes to left midfield. Um, Obeta goes off who was playing left wing um, and it was quite interesting actually and there's a bit of discussion on Twitter about how we were playing so I, I would say we were playing like a 4-4-1 in, in possession um, but Nurse would just kept tracking back their right back who yeah. would play really really high and sometimes we'd be a bit of a back five where Pike was a bit it was a bit almost a bit of a um, you know we were a bit lopsided weren't we because Pike was always being a bit of an outlet on the right um, so yeah, I thought it was interesting changes from the manager. I, I got to say, watching that game, you know, in detail from the West End, that we got a bit lucky with Pike sometimes. Like he offered us a good threat going forward a couple of times, which is fine. But they pushed up their left, their left back or left wing back, whatever they were playing, um, and he was always like back post in absolutely acres of space. And one of Cheltenham's biggest problems is they just didn't pick their heads up and find him. No. They only they only really put one cross back there. That's but, what I but mentioned earlier wasn't I, about Bennett yeah. being having two men. But I guess the Pike never tracked back is, at all though. For yeah, that. Well. Well, you're saying he didn't track back because he's probably told not to. Um, and if we'd had, if we'd have been a back six, we never ever would have got out. And we True. never could have counterattacked. So yeah, it felt sides, risky though. It? Look, watching it, it did feel a little <laughs> bit risky. Um, but yeah, that's what you can't you can't just track everyone. I guess um, when you've got ten men, you're gonna have to leave someone somewhere. Yeah, I quite I quite liked it when Pierre came on and his first touch was a kind of complete mistake, wasn't it? Which involved yeah, them hitting the ball on the bar. <laughs> yeah, and, and Leahy went a Leahy lecture. Um, which I do love a leaky lecture. He went mental at him. Yeah, that wasn't too good. But then he remade up for it, didn't he, with a great block a little bit yeah. later. And then, as we said, Pike did offer a bit going forward. He had a good shot that was saved by the goalkeeper. Oh, that was a good effort, that yeah. was. Curler. Yeah. I thought it was going in. 
And and then there was another moment where we counted, where Ado did his usual thing of just running on, running on. Um, and then yeah, he put in Pike, didn't he? But Pike kind of did his, his usual thing. He didn't it didn't really look too clinical going forward. But um, Hussey cleared it for for Cheltenham. So you know, as I say, they had lots of the ball, but they you know we'd mentioned in town chances here. They never really created anything. They're the one off the bar, but they weren't really creating too many chances. No, their no. fans were silent at this point as well. Yeah. Obviously, the the effects of the uh, the the black current cider had, had faded. <laughs> um, and yeah, this was just an absolutely brilliant moment. So Ado wins the ball in our half he passes to Davis who um, who runs forward and he runs and he runs <laughs> and the fans are on their feet and he's getting towards the penalty area he's still ahead of the defenders who can't catch up with him he composes himself he slots the ball into the back of the net and absolute scenes because fans are on their feet already yes kind of almost you know, you know, not it was one of those goals where you kind of see it happening you know that's absolutely sense but there's a bit there's a real build up to it and then everyone just went absolutely mental. I haven't celebrated a goal like that for a while. It was it was a brilliant moment for me. Actually, I'd say that's probably my my favourite moment of the season so far. Yeah, because it was two one, wasn't it? And they were having lots of the ball. They weren't creating too much, but you you feared that sucker punch that could have come, couldn't you? But uh, there's so much about this goal. It's just crazy. Like obviously, you know, Davis has probably not scored many goals where he's burst from the halfway line. But I can't even remember the last time a town player any ilk picked the ball up on halfway, ran all the way and scored. Do you know what I mean? So for it to, to have been Dave Davis, a man, you know, renowned for his passing backwards and not being the most uh, attacking. And that's his, in his own words. He described this goal as he almost got a nosebleed. You know, he knows what his yeah, role he is. Did. He knows what he's supposed to do. Um, so for it to have been Davis that did it, not a doe running clear or Pike running clear as the front players, it was amazing. And, and Davis had a brilliant game, to be fair. And, and it was just the fact that, like, he just left the Cheltenham defender behind. He's, he's you know, he's, an, he's a sort of one of our older players. Um, he's played, you know, pretty much we week in week out coming back from an injury you know and and stuff like that and he's 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 leaving defenders for dead with pace which was which was quite frightening to be honest with you so yeah absolutely brilliant moment everyone was on their feet absolutely mega celebration and you just knew it was game over then and which was part of the reason why I think everyone was absolutely buzzing about it because you know just starts us into this you know di- you know this, this intense period of christmas with a nice win under our belt that relieves a bit of pressure doesn't it so um all in all I, I thought it was amazing. It was one of my favourite moments at New Meadow, I think, up, up in the, sort of at least the top 20, 25, I think, of just cool, fun moments. Yeah, it was great, wasn't it? And absolutely brilliant. <laughs> and, and after that, um, yeah, a doe went off for a Bowman to get a big round of applause, so it's good to see Bowman Massive. come back. Um, yeah, it's interesting that Bowman started doing his normal things, kind of getting involved with the central defenders, which I thought was quite funny. Um, and then, yeah, um, we haven't talked about too much about Morosi so far, have we? We talked about his good save... <sighs> In the first half, and there was a couple, couple of, of really yeah. superb saves in the second half that kept us in the game. Um, Cheltenham did hit the crossbar as well after that kind of mix up with Pennington and Pierre. Yep. Yep. Um, but this save um, from from Morosi um, near the end of the game was absolutely superb. So he was kind of low down to him, and he had to get down. Uh, and yeah, absolutely superb save, which which earned him a standing ovation, didn't it, Glenn? Yeah, when was that? I don't remember uh, town fans in the West End giving a standing ovation for a save. That's how everybody was so hyped, obviously, at the, that, that moment in time in the game. It was quite a, a unique moment, really. I got us to and clapped it. I, I thought it was one of the best saves I've seen in, in my life. It was a swivel shot from about six yards out with pace. And he got, like, the speed at which he got down low to knock it away was was quite unbelievable, to be honest with you. And maybe I'm overexcited about it because we'd just gone 3-1 up and stuff. But I, I thought it was amazing. I thought he, he, he was absolutely brilliant in that moment. And it was just a quite good save. Although people on Twitter were saying it wasn't that good. But um, there we go. I'm no, going to give him some I, credit. Thought, I, thought, I thought it was a superb <laughs> save. I thought it was amazing. And watching it back, um, yeah, it, it was it was worthy of praise. I thought, um, and it was, yeah, I thought it was, was was really good in that game. He was he was time wasting, but not so much to get booked, um, <laughs> which is always a fine line to balance. 
Um, but yeah. yeah, I thought he had a, a brilliant game and he made some some top class saves. Um, and some of his distribution as well was better as well. I thought he thought some of his outballs were quite good as well. So yeah, he can be really pleased with his performance. I thought. Yeah, shame we didn't get another clean sheet. It's just still the two in about what thir- almost uh, thirty games. Says, now. We don't need clean sheets, and he's proven it right. We're scoring three goals. <laughs> well, we, that's we need very true. Sheets. It's very true. It is. It is. You know, weirdly statistically weird that we haven't only had, we've only had two in the season. And I think I was looking at the record. The, the least amount of clean sheets we've had in the season in all competitions um, is seven. I'd be surprised if we've got lower than seven by the end of the year. But um, at the moment, we're, we're pushing ourselves on that. Um, the, my, one of my favourite moments in the game happened right at the end, which was the guy that had been involved in the blocks and sending off um, just ran the ball straight out of play to the hilarity of the West Stand. And um, he'd been booed the whole game um, for what had happened. And Leahy decided at that point to... I don't think this was a Leahy lecture. This was a Leahy uh, tongue lashing, really. He just started giving him massive lip, like shouting yeah. at him pointing, pointing, pointing. The West Ham were like applauding. It was, he was just like, sling your up, mate. You know, you've done right here today. And it was just, it was great to watch because you knew the lads were probably enjoying it at that point. Yeah, it's one of those moments, isn't it? But it'd be really funny, you know, like, I don't know, if we sign Hussey in the summer and then it's like Leahy, we'll, we'll also probably sign another left back in the in the summer. So we sign him and then Leahy's got to say, hi, mate, how you doing? But um, yeah, he gave him absolute, um, yeah, absolute tongue lashing. It was really funny. Yeah, there we go. Um, we'll have to come up with a, a leaky something else for that. I was trying to think of a, an anachronism, but I couldn't for the moment. We'll, we'll come up with one. Um, and there we go. Yeah, that was game over, wasn't it? Um, I think yeah. we kind of talked about Cheltenham and, and the have, fact that have. they had some good players. I just thought it was reflecting, really. You know, you, have, you always have that pre-Christmas game, um, you know, whether it's home or away, and you're kind of, you know, walking out with the fans and everyone's sort of like, have a good Christmas, see you later, you know. And it's just, it kind of, I, there is something about this game that gives you that little, as a football fan that is engaged in it, goes every week, gives you that little boost just going into Christmas, doesn't it? Because you sit there at Christmas dinner thinking we've won our last game. You know what's what's Boxing Day going to bring? And it kind of it kind of just gives you that little kind of wry smile as a football fan going forward. And it was lovely to see everyone kind of wishing each other Christmas and kind of see you in the new year sort of thing. And from a few people and um, yeah, there's, there's always something about this game that makes it a kind of a one I kind of like winning more than most, Ollie. Yeah, it was nice. it was a good, really good game to win, wasn't it? In terms of timing yes. as well, after a few poor performances as well, good to get back at home, get that win. For me, it was it was a good one as well. Let's see, Benji's only a month old now. So to, to leave back yeah, for, for five that. hours, um, so yeah, so almost yeah, a bit of a gamble in some ways for for Bex to say yeah, off you go, um, but to come back <laughs> in in a happy mood. I definitely came back happier than I left, um, being tired and all that stuff that you know Glenn too well, and everyone who's a, a parent will know, you know, sleepless nights and yeah, trying to figure out why on earth is he crying now. But um, but yeah, it was all good fun and yeah, absolutely brilliant, absolutely brilliant um, day and thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed it. It was great to be back at the meadow. Yeah, it was. it was. I knew you were coming back when you, you said, I'll come find you, and you just went straight up to the buffet van and found yeah, and get did. some chips in you. So. You had chips and a burger. <laughs> Logical was, place um, to find me, Ollie. Um, <laughs> there we go. Um, and top threes then, before we get to the yeah, manager's comments. Yeah, you do. I, both the same. So, yeah, we could discuss this, didn't we, after the game, actually. Um, and, yeah, who, who, who did we both go for? Yeah, it's prompted by my brother saying you can't pick anyone but this top three. And the longer we thought about it, the more we agreed, didn't we? So um, yeah, a doe man of the match, quite simply breathtakingly good at times, and you know almost a one man army at points during that second half. Um, brilliant goals, um, hard work rate. Um, bit harsh taking him off when he was on a hat trick, um, but um, I, I'm sure Saving if he keeps playing like this, a hat trick is coming down the line for him. Um, Morosi second place talked about his magnificent saves, kept us in the game at the vital points so that we could build on its second half. And and we talked about Dave Davis's goal, um, but his overall work rate was good. He probably was a little bit too... Well, I say he's a bit too defensive first half, but that's his role. He plays the ball backwards and keeps possession. So um, he did what he was supposed to do um, first half and he was pretty strong and, 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 and the goal was absolutely amazing moment. Um, so he was my third. But I thought... 
I just wanted to mention, I thought Pennington should have had a shout for the third place. Um, and also Elliot Bennett. I thought they, you know, everyone had a good game. But to me... And Leahy. Leahy yeah. did all right. Yeah, did all right. But for Nurse me, Bennett did and Pennington... Well again. Yeah, yeah. So anyone could have had a shout for that third place, I think. But we give it Davis for the goal. Yeah, I think so. I think he cool. I thought it was also to come back in after being out for a few weeks as well to come and play yeah. that well as well. I thought it was worthy of, of, of note. Cool. And what was I haven't had a chance to watch Steve today. I've been busy so far. So oh, uh, it's a yeah, really good interview. Good. I'm not going to mention too many quotes because I don't want to ruin it for anyone. I'd really, really encourage people to go and watch it. Um, mm. I think we may just leave it there. Maybe we'll just, just say the one anecdote from it, which is really good fun. So basically, at half time, he wrote two things on the board, and one of them was "Do not get beat," and second one was to win the game. And um, when when they came in, the player said to the gaffer, he had to tick them off. And when he did, they had they cheered it. And it's just a little insight, I think. And one thing we've, we've commented on this podcast, we haven't, you know, the, the players have been playing for the manager and there seems to be a great togetherness in the squad. Um, and I think that little yes. story just kind of just, just um, shows that while we might have frustrations with the manager with recruitment and some of the press conferences and stuff, um, he, he's showing that he's a good football manager and he's showing he's got the, the players and back in. Um, so yeah, fingers crossed January can be good because I think this Saturday was a, a real big feel-good factor about the football, and I thought the manager was fantastic as well, especially about his comments about COVID as well. So I thought it was a really, really good press conference, and I saw a lot of praise for, for the manager um, on Twitter talking about him as well. Yeah, we're probably going to touch on COVID as well, maybe going forward with what might be happening with football, but great to see the football club um, promoting the fact that their media team got the jab in the morning, um, the booster jabs, and then the players had those jabs in the changing room post-match. I think, you know, obviously, if you're going to do it with the players, get it done post-match. I suppose you've got a nice break before the next game now, so that if there are any, you know, undue reactions from the jab, which some, some people have had, it made me feel a little bit rough, the booster. I was fine with the um, the, the actual vaccine. Yeah, I felt, I felt, felt, a, felt a little, a little bit, bit groggy with the booster yeah. as well. But gives them chance over Christmas to recover. So thought that was really good of the club to be kind of promoting that really and, and making sure everyone kind of keeps themselves safe. Um, and yeah, on Cottrell, I, I think it's great. You know, obviously when we lose again, we're still going to get his miserable ass attitude manager yeah. kind of post matches. Um, but you know, I, I, it's it's difficult to go as much as Saturday was amazing. I still don't want to go hugely over the overboard yet because. We're twentieth in the league, Ollie. Yeah, we only we have twenty-two points in twenty-two games, and um, you know we still haven't scored that many goals this season. So you know there's lots and lots of work to be done. You know we've managed to dig ourselves out of a hole to be level, but you know the next five to ten games, we could either start start to find ourselves going up the league, or we could still just slum it around the, the relegation battle. So it's it's not a done deal yet, is it? We still need to keep building on these kind of performances and you know, get that waveform up. I understand. You're totally right, Glenn. I can't disagree with you saying no. We still are in a relegation fight. However, at the same time. Um, yeah, it's a weekly podcast, so I think we can enjoy this week um, with also right. in mind on what we're going to do. So yeah, really loved this game, really enjoyed the day out. Great to see um, a few friendly faces as well. Saw Nate um, chatting to him and had a pint. I did find that it was really funny. I went to the wood stand. I forgot my vouchers, so I had to give money to Woods and the club. Um, I forgot my Brian <laughs> voucher, I left it in the car. And it's really funny that I'm not a fan of, of Shropshire, lad. It's I think it's a bit of a beer that needs probably is a bit of a, I don't know, a bit of a re- relift or a bit of a rethink. And because there was three pumps, two of them were Shropshire, lad, and no one was getting any of it. So uh, maybe they need to put some other beers on, on the ground. And that's what they were asking for at the last sports bar meeting. They were asking for fans' thoughts on that. So maybe they've yeah, started Shropshire, to receive Shropshire, lad. It, I drink a lot of ales. I'm drinking it. an ale now, um, actually. I'm having a nice beer because I'm not working this week. Um, but yeah, anyway, that's enough said about that. So it's yeah, a really <laughs> enjoyable day. Yep, so let's move forward, Glenn. Let's have a look at what we need to do in January. Um, what players do we think we need to sign? Oxford City very deep. Here is Pugh and Udo! And the deadlock is finally broken by Daniel Udo. 
So, Glenn, it's, it's summer school report time. So we wanted to review the summer signings and how good we thought they'd done. So yep. for me, I, I signed for anyone that we signed, you know, as a player that was not contracted to the club last season. So what do we think of our summer signings? So, yeah, put it out on Twitter and, and also Blue and Amber on Facebook as well. And I got loads and loads of responses. Absolutely. Yeah, I was really pleased with the number of responses. Hopefully people enjoyed contributing. So I'll share a few what the fans thought, Glenn. So... Um, I won't do all of them, but I'll, I'll share a few. Uh, we've got um, Elliot Bennett with a B, Ryan Bowman with a B, Cosgrove with an F, um, Davis with a C, um, Leahy with an A, Leshabella with a D, um, Nurse with a B, Morosi with a B, and Pennington with a B, and that was from Andy Davis. And um, okay. I'll just maybe just share one more, maybe Guy Smith on Facebook, and he gave um, Luke Leahy A+, plus, um, Ryan Bowman a B, and George Nurse a B, Pennington a B, and then he gave C's to Davis Elliot. Um, and Bennett and Morosi um, and then he gave mm. um, F to Leshebella which I think is a bit harsh and F to Cosgrove as well so I'll quickly do mine <laughs> I thought yeah I thought Elliot Bowman um, George Nurse Morosi and Pennington for me are all B's um, Davis uh-huh. and Leshebella are C I've given Leshebella a C because I think when he has played he's done well um, and then <sighs> for me um, I think that um, Sam, Gros- Sam Cosgrove Bless him. God knows where he goes from this, but for me, it was a, an, an F for, for Cosgrove. And um, what was your view? What was your view on, on summer signings, Glenn? Hey, you know me. I like to be completely harsh, Ollie. I, I was. I want for one. I thought. I think. Yeah, we rank the summer signings, but for Davis and Pennington, I decided not to um, give them a you rating really because. Yeah, because we already had them technically, and you kind of knew what you were going to get out of Pennington and Davis. And nothing I've seen this season makes me think they're any different of a player to what we had last season. Do you know what I mean? Pennington was decent last season in, in, in that period. Davis still gives us what Davis gives. So I decided not to rate them, but um, they've done well so far this season, so I can't be too critical. But yeah, I left them off my one. I went for, um, you know, I once um, failed uh, history at um, A level. Just there's a fact for you, Ollie. And when I got my mark back, it gave me um, a grade called a U, which I wasn't aware existed at that point. Because it was so bad, so I gave uh, Sam Cosgrove a U. Ungradable. Just to start off with. Ungradable. He's he's been ungradable. Um, and then yeah, I I also gave Leshbeller an F just because. He was terrible in that League Cup game he came on. He's been maybe slightly better in some of the games, but he's, he's nowhere near going to be getting much of a game for us. I think he'll probably go back in January. Um, but outside of those two, all the new summer signings, I had C and above. So I, I gave Bowman a C, mainly because he hasn't played as many games as I wish he had done. And he's been fantastic in all the games he has played. But um, his injury was a bit of a niggle, really, and, and kind of sets him back from getting uh, getting a B or an A for me. Um, I gave the Bs to Morosi and Elliot Bennett, and I gave an A to Luke Lee and George Nurse, who to me have been the two most consistent uh, players that we signed in the summer in terms of their performance levels haven't dropped and they've basically played every game they've been available for. Um, so, yeah, that, that was kind of my ranking of it, really, Ollie. But I suppose, you know, you've read through all of the 78 responses you had. What was the overall vibe? You know, was there big differences on any players or was or was it pretty similar to kind of how we've looked at it, I suppose? Yeah, yeah there was a few people said people, people were being a little bit more generous to, to some, some Crossgrove. Um, I think some people will be like, yeah, what the what the f have we done signing him? But most people were really positive about Leahy, um, really yes. positive about Nurse, um, and then everyone was quite happy as well with 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 Bennett and Bowman and Morosi and Pennington and the like. Um, so I think, and that's frustration, isn't it? We we keep mentioning it, but we'll, obviously we we've got a right to do it now. We're talking about transfer window. The signings that we have done have been good on the whole, apart from Sam Crossgrove. Hopefully, we weren't mm. paying too much of his. Um, yeah, five figure a weekly wage, um, but 
yeah, I think think you know the summer signings have been pretty good. It's just a shame. It's just the lack of numbers really, which has been the issue. Yeah, when you look at it, without Davis and Pennington, um, and let's be honest, we let Davis go and then brought him back late on, so that was always a weird one. Um, but without those two, we only brought in seven new players in the summer, didn't we? Which was just a and we let a lot go. A ridiculously low number, and that that's the problem, isn't it? Really. So yeah, if we if we you know if he say brings four or five players in, we'll get to that in a minute in the in the next window, and three of them are the A's and B's of the Bennets and and the and the Leahys and the Nurses, then we'd probably be all right in the rest of this year. But um, there are no guarantees in football. He could he could now get in a load of players and them all be absolute crap. That's the problem, isn't it? So um, we don't know what it's going to go like, Ollie. But we we know where we need players, don't we? Yeah, we do. So so if you go first, Glenn, what do you reckon we need? Um, it's pretty similar to what most people think. We definitely need right wing back cover, don't we? That is absolutely yeah. critical. Well, so we need a first team right wing back. Yeah, that's probably fair. I, although I wouldn't be against Bennett playing there all season. I think he's a really good player. Um, but you know, regardless of that, even if it ended up being that, he's not. He's never going to play every game. He's he's you know, one of our aging players, I suppose. So yeah, a first choice right wing back and, and Bennett being you know, battling with him would be good. I think uh, to me, I think that is the most critical thing in the way that we're playing at the moment. Um, second most critical is an attacking midfielder. Um, um, in terms of uh, sort of, you know, like we talked about in the Cheltenham game, that Alfie May type um, that can kind of sit in and be that that sort of prodder um, that Wally was doing earlier in the season as much as he could. Um, not critical kind of in the way that we're playing at the moment, but something we definitely need on the books. And then for me, I think probably another striker um, because I don't think Pike's up to it. Cosgrove can go home um, and Caton's obviously a young lad. So you want someone to push Bowman in a doe um, so that we don't get to a situation where if one of them's injured, we have to play Pike. So I'd like to avoid that. And for me, I think we could probably carry two more midfielders I think Lash Bella could probably go back and this is on the basis that he doesn't stay um, we could do one permanent signing the proper replacement for Ollie Norburn let's be honest about it um, and then yeah maybe take another punt on a different central midfielder that isn't Lash Bella that, that might come up whether that's permanent or on loan I'm not really too fussed um, but to me that's kind of my, my kind of wish list and so that's one, two, three, four that's five players I'd be alright with those five if it was something that filled all those positions I think, yeah I think as a minimum we need three as a yeah. bare minimum um, and a lot of like I take Anthony Price's tweet. Um, he said a creative midfielder, a striker, and a right wing back. I think Anthony's. I think Anthony nailed it there. Also James on on Twitter as well. And um, he said right back, creative midfielder, and a striker. Um, a few others as well. Scarecrows on the podcast recently said two central midfielders and a right wing back, which is the same as well. Um, and yeah, Dave Williams said get rid of Cosgrove, get a creative midfielder, and get a striker. He isn't too concerned about right wing back. But for me, I think we need um, we play with like two sixes, don't we, in central field? I think we need another one to help Vela and Davis um, and Bennett play there. I think four maybe is just enough cover. I think we definitely need a number ten type, a Chapman, uh, an Alfie May player who can be creative in that area, um, a, f- a first team right wing back and a striker as well. Now the challenge we have, Glenn, is obviously we need. You know, they can't be. They can't really be Mac backup players, can they? No. Like maybe one of them, maybe one of the central midfielders could be a young lad on loan or something like that, or yeah. a bit of a punt, or someone who we're going to sign. I don't know, a bit like a George Nurse, but maybe don't get as much game time as maybe George Nurse has got this season. Um, someone that comes in from a bigger club and it's like, yeah, we'll sign you. Then you know you play next season more than this season. Um, but the big challenge is this: that obviously we, we need to sign players now. Otherwise, we're in real trouble. If we don't, there's a good chance we could go down. Well, it increases the probability of us going down significantly. I think if we sign a few good players, and you know, one of them is you know the caliber of Lee and you know a couple of others are Bs and Cs in terms of recruitment. Glenn, get one A, a couple of Bs and a C. I think we'll be fine. Especially if that A ends up being in centre mid or attacking midfield. Yeah, that would be absolutely diamond. Yeah. Exactly, and then you get Ebanks back, Pierre back, have a bit of a bit more of a settled um, lineup. Also, and our bench will look a bit more 
a bit more threatening because our bench at the moment can looks a little bit anemic. But the big challenge for me is, Glenn, is you know trying to get those permanent signings. Um, out of those, you said five players, Glenn. I said four. Out of those, um, those two numbers, like how many of those would you be happy with permanents or loans? Would you be happy with five loans, or does it need to be five permanent signings? Well, we can't get five loans because none of them they won't all be able to play. We've obviously got Cosgrove and, and Lesh Bella on loan. I think, we think so it's fair to assume those two are going to go back. This is we've got to assume that. I don't think that we can carry them for the rest of the season. And so, if you want more flexibility on your loans, you're going to have to get rid of one. I, I, I can see Cosgrove staying, and it might be the sort of thing that it's such a big kind of deal that. He's got he's got to stay for whatever reason it is. Less Bella, maybe less so. We've sent those sort of players back before. But you often get these loan contracts that can't be terminated now. If it's a season long loan, they have to hang around all season. So who knows what the deals are with that? Um, but yeah, I, I'm just going aside really in terms of other thought, thoughts I had on it is that if you're looking at one player who's been playing a lot recently that you could upgrade, you know, in terms of a like for like replacement, I, I it might seem a bit harsh considering how good he played on Saturday, but I do think that you could definitely possibly upgrade. Dave Davis. And I only say that because Cottrell clearly didn't initially want him, Ollie. Let's be honest about it. He let him go for whatever reason he thought he did. And then he got him back very late on in the window. And yeah, he's probably come in and impressed him. But I, I still get the vibe that long term, he's going to want to replace Dave Davis in the team. And if the right player comes up in January um, and he's you know a Dave, Dave, Dave Davis replacement now, I suspect he'd probably go all in and, and get him in early doors. So I can see maybe that being one of the players who's kind of looked at as being replaced. Um, obviously, we'd try and replace Wally because he's injured. It's a slightly different thing. But yeah, that was kind of one of my thoughts on it, really, considering everything that happened in the summer. I think that's fair. He's he's a decent player. Yeah. But you want competition as well, don't you? You can't just have eleven first team players. Um, so you need competition. I think someone else who can, you know, kind of, yeah, maybe have that kind of Norburn esque kind of drive um, at midfield. I think would be really helpful. Kind of bit of youthful energy in there as well. I think would be really helpful. Um, yeah, I thought that'd be great. The the lap, mm. obviously, there's the, a few names that keep popping up. Um, in terms of players we want to try and sign but yeah fingers crossed we can sign some really good players and, and we'll build on for next season obviously we hope this summer we'll be building for this season next um, but yeah if we obviously we can avoid relegation this year hopefully we can sign players that will be will be around next season yeah, I'd like to see some permanents come in and start, you know, build the project that clearly Cottrell wants to build here with the signing, the permanent signings he did make in the summer. I suppose it's a couple of questions really for you. One, and just you very quickly mentioned um, uh, Chapman. He doesn't play for Burton. He's had a nightmare loan move. No, there. he's not he doing very well there at all. He well, really should. Well, well uh, what a I want to say too much, but <laughs> I hear that we could have had him if we wanted to. Yeah, but we've all heard those rumours, uh, haven't we? I suppose really we don't quite know what's true, but. Regardless of it, if he'd have come here, I can't imagine he'd have struggled as much as he yeah, struggled this season for game time. He would have been playing every Why week, do you think he, he didn't sign then, Glenn? Uh, who knows? Could be Cottrell's choice, I suppose. Could have been his choice. Maybe yeah. if, if, but, okay, if it's Cottrell's choice, why did Cottrell make that choice? Because he probably thought we were signing Will Grigg. <laughs> or that guy from Charlton that we were never going to sign. Or a myriad of other amazing players. I that think it comes down to his work rate. <laughs> maybe. I really like Chapman. When he was good, he was good. When he was poor, he was pretty poor. Yeah, and when he wasn't missing. playing very well, he didn't really contribute very much. No. I wonder whether his work rate was not not to the, the calibre of, 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 of Cottrell. And one thing I will give Cottrell a lot of praise for is the mentality and the character of the players that we have signed. Mm-hmm. And he didn't want to obviously sign any... I'm not saying Chapman's a bad apple, but we've got players that work really, really hard. That's one thing that's, that kind of connects all of them, apart from maybe Sam Cosgrove. Um, but yeah, in terms of our permanent signings, um, they've all got quite similar DNA. 
True, and I think that'll be the same in January, and it'll be the same types of players, won't it? Maybe um, that are going to come in with that same attitude and, and have been scouted out, and I'm sure that Keith Burt will know what the hell he's doing this time and might uh, might identify some targets that we can actually get. So there we go. We'll, we'll see what happens in January. And the last question I have for you on this, Ollie, before we close off the podcast is, you know, we talked about Lesh Bella and Cosgrove. Obviously, they're the two that you think might go. Can you see anyone else going out the door? Um, we, you know, we're not likely to loan out our youth players because we need them. Um, but you know, can you see a, 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 a an odd better deal being done in January? Is uh, I don't know what what can you see might be on the cards. Mm, I'll be surprised if anyone left. Maybe I don't know. Maybe Pierre, or maybe we get a big big yeah. offer for 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 Lee for not Lee, sorry for Vela. Or maybe are better, but I don't think I don't. Th- I think the only player that's really probably done enough um, to get a move or club would want to sign him is probably Vela. But I also hear his numbers aren't great. But then I feel sorry for Vela because you know we're shopping and changing all the time and we mm. don't have the, the best start eleven all the time at the moment. Pierre's um, an but- interesting one. Yeah, yeah, just more think about it because he's out of contract and we'll get nothing for him. He's too old, isn't he? And um, yeah, I I could be I could be very seriously tempted to get get Pierre on the road the way the last two months has gone in terms of our defence um, and him not really being needed as much as he was last season. So yeah, I, I suspect there's something the club would definitely think about, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. If you can get a little bit of money, um, get a player that's going to go for free in the summer, um, maybe. If you can make it even perfect, you know you will get replacement, you get some money, yeah, um, reinvest. Maybe that's one thing. Or, yeah, Pierre hasn't been great this season, and you kind of almost, you know, your mind starts thinking of, well, why hasn't he been great? What's going on? He might just be just not having a great season. Um, but obviously, we, we've seen we've seen a lot of Pierre the last few years, so he's definitely not performing that well. That no. obviously means that the chance of someone signing him, we're obviously looking at his his previous kind of performances to kind of make a um, a decision on him. Um, but yeah, I think it's an interesting one anyway. Mm, yeah, interesting. Well, there we go, Ollie. Good stuff. Well, that's it. Football for the well, the, the before Christmas period is now done. We've obviously got a couple of games before the end of the year, Ollie. But I suppose it's just uh, for us to say Merry Christmas to everyone that's listened over the course of this year and has enjoyed, hopefully, what we've been putting out there and, and the Shoes We Town chat we, we get stuck into every week, Ollie. And yeah, hopefully everyone has a lovely Christmas break. Um, hopefully... We don't, well, maybe we, who knows what's going to happen with lockdowns, Ollie. Let's not even get into that. I think we'll be talking, no. I honestly think we're going to have to talk about COVID a lot for the next couple of months in terms of I football because I can see lockdowns and all that coming, can't you? So hopefully we don't get that on Christmas and we all get to at least spend some time with everyone that we've not been able to see as much over the last few years as we can. So yeah, I suppose enjoy a lovely Christmas break. Um, and yeah, we'll be back to cover Shrewsbury Town on Boxing Day. Cheers, guys. Thanks for listening. And yeah, have a great Christmas and enjoy the time with your family.